that I did not study with Rav Soloveitchik. <laughs> did you study with Rav Cook? No. Probably not. Rav Wittner? No. Rav no. Wittner I heard once. Okay, so that counts. Okay, okay. Okay, okay because I would say that because he, uh, Rav Soloveitchik's approach is, uh, predominates, I think, uh, modern Orthodox Jewry since he spoke. And his, his approach is, uh, in its fullest fashion, is in his monumental work, the man, halachic man, ishalacha. But the quote that I have here on the page is not from that work, but rather from his eulogy for his uncle, Ravelvala, the Briskarov. Um, which, um, it, the reason that I, I have the quotation from this work, which is less well known, is because this work is much shorter and it gives you his idea of halakha in a nutshell. Much easier. And anybody who wants to should read that. In Hebrew it's called Madodech Midod. I don't know if, uh, I don't know what the, how, I'm sure it was said in Yiddish, but I don't know what the, uh, if the English translation is, if there is one available. But it's a much clearer work than, than uh, the halakhic man. In this book he talks about a situation in which an aguna or some other person in dire circumstances goes to the posseg for a solution to her or his problem. Okay? And he says that uh, the, this, the posseg is obviously motivated to try to solve the problem. But then what happens? So now let's read this both in Hebrew and English. So can I have help with the reading? Do we have volunteers for the reading? Okay, I keep it there's somebody back there, so I'm going to... Yeah, okay. So we'll read it first in Hebrew, yes? And then... Okay. Lavian. Object. Now in English. Okay, so does everybody understand the situation? There's an Aguna sitting, this action happened to Elohan Wasserman. There's an Aguna sitting in his, her, his living room. 
he wants to solve the problem for her she is the one that gives him the thrust propels him into orbit but once he's into orbit what controls him? Halakha in the mashal that's the name shal in the mashal the, the laws of physics yeah, yeah well you can get into the laws of physics of, of the orbit but we're not going to do that now but it's the laws of physics so there are these there's abstract laws that govern the orbit of this satellite so what what how does the posek function with these abstract rules of halakha these I would say uh, you might have to help me with my English a little bit yachasim these equations these what relationships these abstract relationships are then like these rules of physics and they they will uh, will they take over and the outcome of this halachic question will be wherever they <coughs> take him so he goes into orbit hoping that the aguna will be will be the aguna problem will be solid she can remarry however once he gets into orbit he might end up with another solution because it becomes a matter of pure pure physics or should I say metaphysics right because there's something these rules these abstract rules control him okay so that is very similar to Allahi man. That is the way of Soloveitchik used the process. So, uh, the, by the way, what makes it heavenly is not what you might think. If I asked you what is divine about Jewish law, what would you say? Just the average person. I, I don't mean your average people, but the average. What would the person? What would the average person say? Jewish person, observant person. It comes from God. In what sense does it come from God? The Torah was given by God in some sense. Right? Whatever, whatever. We're not getting into that issue. In what sense the Torah is given by God? But the Torah, in some sense, was given by God. It's the divine commandment that makes the Torah divine. But in this world, what, what is divine about the Allah? What is heavenly? Otherworldly? Yes. Now, Josh, you know for sure. No. <laughs> like the ideal nature. Right, it's these abstract, this, what is heavenly about this is not the word, the historical word of God at Sinai, this night revelation, but rather the nature, this, this nature, this uh, rather, rather neoplatonic, it's usually called neoplatonic. For me, it's neoplatonic. It's like these, these, just like Plato has this other world, right? And, and the, and the Neoplatonic Platonists even more so, right? So they have this, these, these abstract things that control the world. So there's these abstract principles that control the world of Halakha. That's the way it goes. So does anybody see any difficulty with this concept? Every one of the concepts we're going to discuss will have some difficulty to it. I'm not knocking all your solidarity. We will always ask, you know, the main thing about the Mutawas is to few They would seem are not so important. Answers are important questions are what's important in the process. We only answer questions so that we can have another question. So what question would you ask about this? Yes. How do we believe that well the Torah is given to us by God, He gave us the Torah that we can understand? Um, it's not supposed to be something we have 
Oh, well, the, these abstract ideas can be understood by man. Right. Not, not right. too abstract that we can't understand. But he, but he thinks it can be. Oh, well, they, it depends what you mean by understanding. Because they are understood in the sense they are... Oh, oh okay. The question was, wasn't the Torah meant to be understood by man? And maybe these abstract principles are not so well understood. I don't know what you meant by that, but you could be asking a very deep question because these these abstract principles are givens that we can't always decipher. They're just givens. Just like if I asked you, if I say E equals MC squared, then I say Y. The Y really fit that. That's why they say the people of the of this school of thought say we don't ask why. We appreciate this, the, the grandeur of the system, but we don't ask why. Yes, that is that. I wasn't thinking of that. That's an important question. Yes, so we'll have the young people first, okay? Just like in the Sanhedrin, and then we'll. Yeah. You think that it's too open? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll get back to you in a minute. I get back to you in a minute. Okay. Now, uh, yes. Yaakov. Yes. Yeah. And one person whose name I heard a few minutes ago, I still remember. Yes. Yaakov. Okay. My difficulty is very different nature. I don't know what an abstract principle means. It had to come from somewhere. Principles, I'm assuming, were developed by Chazal at some point and, and were moved at some level to the Russian rewrite process or whatever using certain abstract principles I don't know where the abstract principles are. It's much more, much more. Uh, uh, he's, you're, not, you're not on his page at all. He thinks the abstract principles that he's talking about are constructions of his grandfather, of Chayyim. That's where they are. It's a, it's a whole different story. It's just abstract principles that were used. He thinks. Well, okay, so now I'll tell you something that's based on my background. But be, before that, I want to answer this young lady's question. Although. Yes, we'll hear the other question. I'll, I'll, I'll relate to it in a minute. Yes? Well, we're supposed to accommodate for any change. Because uh, yeah. it's believable. Well, it doesn't, but that's not a question. That's not a... Uh, I have to say this in Hebrew. Zero sheila is a kushiya. Right? Means you, you, you think that's what would be t- to lead to rigidity. This kind of approach will lead to rigidity, just the opposite of what you said. So that's very good. That, helps, that will help me a lot. Yeah. Because, okay, it, I think, so I have to explain why, who's right here. Does it lead to something very rigid, or is it too open-ended? Okay, yes. And what if uh, following the path of power, following the law of physics, you get someplace you don't want to go? Right, so then you obviously would. You know, sometimes the aguna will be asura. Because that's where you get where it ends up. So the thing is that most people don't understand that you're, I don't know what you mean. At least uh, most people don't understand the Solidarity your way, which is that it's a very open kind of game. They assume because it's governed by the laws of physics that everybody's going to end up at the same place. Because you're not just taking a walk, you're thrown out into this orbit and then the laws of physics overcome you. And you follow these abstract principles which are the abstract principles which were, which, uh, which govern Halakha. I will t- tell you what he means by that in a minute. 
Okay? And then, and then it becomes very rigid because what, whatever answer comes out, comes out. And, and sometimes the answer comes out which doesn't really seem appropriate. But who cares if it's appropriate or not? It comes, it's heavenly, it's divine because it comes from these abstract ideas. Okay? The, the thing is that these abstract ideas are because, just I'm going to tell you what, what I was taught in Skokie. I didn't learn with, I wasn't exactly fair. I didn't learn with, with Harold Soloveitchik. I learned with Harold Soloveitchik. Number two, Ravaron. I didn't learn with Yosef Dov, I learned with Ravaron. And Ravaron's son was my Chavuta for two years. So I was very much influenced by this school of thought. For years, in fact, years and years later, even when I was learning in a different kind of issue altogether, they would say, You think like a brisker. They would, I was. <laughs> so so the, the thing is that the, the, what they say is we view. Torah like, as a natural science. So the way they discover the abstract principles, why the reason the abstract principles were only discovered in the 20th century from their point of view is because Rabbi Chaim started looking at the empirical data and saying, what is the thesis that will explain all of this? So he saw that the Rabbam contradicted himself. He said, let's think of an abstract principle that will explain these contradictory halakhot. That's, that's the way the American branch of the Brister family, of the Slovenian family, viewed the process. It's a natural science. We wouldn't normally think, I wouldn't normally think of Torah as a natural science. But they say we, the way we learn Torah, we learn Torah like a natural science. So that's how we discern the abstract principles. Okay? And then, once they're in place, they can be used for psikat as well. I don't think of Salvechi Paskin this way, by the way, but that's what he says should be done. And it does lead to rigidity. And that's why we could show, I, I could show you psikat halacha, actual halachic decisions that have been influenced by this mode of thought, and it tends to be very rigid. Also be very machmir. It tends to be. Be this kind of thought. There was a question here? No? Okay. So that's... Yes? I just thought the, the Brisker thought doesn't make a distinction between Halakha, like Chazal, um, Chazal input into Halakha, and the Torah, like Shavikhtav. Torah Shavikhtav is not relevant to this discussion at all. Actually, <laughs> 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 there's... I write Shosh Kishah Halakha, I sometimes write Shosh Kishah, the Torah Shavikhtav, but... It's not, it's not the, the, the Torah is what? The topic they're talking about. They say we'll so view the, uh, this as a natural science. They think about Torah By the way, view it as a natural science is also the reason they don't see development in the process. Because they view everything as just empirical data. So it's all one, uh, one, uh, one, uh, one overview of all the empirical data. So they don't even pay attention to what generation said it and the development said so it's not part of their game. Uh, okay, so that's of Soloveitchik. So just to counter that completely, okay, now let's look at Rav Kook. So Rav Kook doesn't say, he doesn't have one clear paragraph. Oh, I'll, I'll, excuse me, the obvious question is, of course, that we can see two poskim dealing with the exact same question and coming up with two different answers. So according to Rav Soloveitchik, that should not really be possible. 
So there's a way out always, because you'll say there's some detail which is different or something, but it should not really be possible. Yes? I think he's talking about the ideal, which I assume he's, he's uh, giving that example, example 5, which is Bible and the things that he said, he goes faster, stature, that does not necessarily what happened. I think he's describing the ideal, like mechanical process. Okay. And which he, which he felt that his uncle was exemplified. That's possible. That it would mean that the differences. You know, you have no. I, I think you have no idea of how important your statement is. So the, let me say this: It would seem that if that was the case, that all this halachic disagreement was was error, error or bidiyavad. Echon bidiyavad. Manglit. Bidiyavad. Okay. So. And if that, so there is somebody who before the Rambam said before the Rambam said that which was the Rambam but the Rambam is very similar actually the Rambam says that if the the uh, Chachamim were capable of, of following the rules appropriately there would be almost there would be no Lachlokah whatsoever and then he says almost he has it almost at the end because he says that he only have to make deal of the Shemai, so he had to somehow make do for the fact that there was some Achot before that because he said something deteriorated. But deteriorated was not knowledge, it was met- methodology. But if everybody had followed the same methodology properly, we would only have one Halacha, okay, which is very similar. Although he's talking about hermeneutics, the right methodology of interpreting which is also a question on the Rambam because that also is in question but that it, it, that is a whole different body but it's very similar in that sense that there is one really only one right way okay so now let's learn, learn of Cook okay so I think I'm going to read of Cook because it's going to be hard for you to read probably because of course you read is just impossible once there was a high school student whose teacher complained that she writes run-on st- sentences and she said to her teacher <laughs> so, okay. so I collected these from different places because he doesn't actually say it per se but when you look you take an overview of things he said in different places this is the picture that appears <coughs> okay uh, Okay, uh, there's, there's an okay, I'm going to read it as it's printed, but there's a, there was this text was corrected by Rav Tzirahu's son, so I'll tell you what the correction was as well. I'm going to continue. This is from Orot HaTorah and also from Shemana Kvetzi. So the word Siyur here was a correction. Can anybody guess what the original was? It's a very poor correction of Siyudah because it's very obvious what the original was. So, do you want, do we, somebody want to read it in English? 
Somebody? Yeah, back. No, no, first the written one. We'll start with the written one. Uh, we didn't read that in Hebrew yet. Stop for a minute. Okay. So does everybody see where the problem is? Does it, do you get the gist of it? The Tawashi Bechtav is heavenly, be, almost beyond our perception. And the, writ, the oral law is closer to the real life situation. Okay? Does anybody see where the problem is in the text? See, in the one first one says, and the second sentence says, So what does the first one have to be? Sinor. Obviously. And it was Sinor in the original text. It wrote Sinor to change it for some reason. We won't get into that now, but it's like the worst correction he ever made because you can't tell that he corrected it. But here, if you get it, Sinor, 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 the first one is Sinor. So we have these two ways of accessing the um, the essence of Tawaf. One is this prophecy, which is like beyond, almost beyond ourselves. And the other is something more down to earth, and that is a different vista. That's a di- it's a different uh, vehicle. Okay? So now, here, what is the Sinor? Here, so now read the, the third sentence. Continue. Continue in the English. We'll continue in the English. Okay, so what is Torah about that? Can anybody get beyond this very flowery language of of Cook and describe what Torah about pairs? Yes. The, the folk customs of the Jewish people. <laughs> <laughs> Got a little overboard. Okay. Uh, but uh, so let's take it back a step. Okay, that's not so bad. It's just a little uh, over going a little overboard. So. The, what, I, what is that? What is Torah about? First of all, he says he actually says that Torah is very strongly influenced by Torah The 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 yes. How we practice the how, how we practice, how we interpret, how we human beings understand the appropriate way of applying this to life. And it's very human. It's very human. Then he actually says, "Why were Bnei Israel given this?" So I'm going to answer this question twice because he answers it twice. This is only a small. There are many paragraphs about this. One place he says it's when you when is when you want to to uh, 
if you want to order a painting for your house, you're going to order it from Rembrandt. The Jewish people were best suited to this work of interpreting the, the, the written law. And the other places he says the same thing, but he says it in a mystical way. He says that there's a divine presence in the Jewish people which allows them to do this in the proper fashion. Okay? It's almost the same thing. It's just, it's just whether how, how mystical you make it, right? The idea that there's something special in the Jewish people, very, of course, kind of idea. He thinks that it's a spark of divinity in all beings. By the way, not only in human beings. He just thinks that the universe is full of divine sparks, and especially in human beings, and especially in the Jewish people. And that divine spark in the Jewish people allows it to do this in an appropriate fashion. But it has this human factor. Okay? It actually, it's very, very similar to a Chadam. It's contemporary. A Chadam says something very similar, and later more of a Chadam. I don't know if he stole it or just thought the same thing. When I read Mordechai Kaplan, I thought it was just very boring because Acharam had said most of what he had said before that. Acharam says regarding Ayin Tachat Ayin that this is the wonderful intuition of Chachmei Torah that it couldn't be Mamon. And he says we need more of that today. It's very similar except that Rav Kook understands that in religious terms. Where, where I'm, not, I'm not so sure, it's very hard to tell with Acharam where he stands on all these things. But he thinks the spirit of the Jewish people is something to him as well. But for Rav Kook, it's, it's infused with this mysticism. But it still is very human. So thou, that would account for things like flexibility, because he says you have to deal with the real life situation. So this, this uh, great capacity of Jewish people to be interpreters plays itself out in different types of situations. He actually says, if you notice, uh, in Ivrit it says... Uh, he says, "Kol kol chidusha v'yisori stafuta." All of its the, its process of renewal and saying new things, chidusha Torah. He stagluta la chayim, the way it it makes us appropriate for life. The process it's very much a process, and he very much takes into into consideration the multiple generational aspect of it and the fact that, it, that as life progresses and things change the Tawashua changes changes via via that the Psat changes because we have to deal with new situations and we need creativity human creativity to, do with, to deal with these uh, situations if we want Tawah to be a major force in in um, not safe not safe that's it, that's it. To, to mold, to mold the, the, the society in a proper fashion. Right? So it's a tool to mold society, and if it's going to mold society properly, then the Chachmet Rosh Hashanah have to take everything into account, so there's this movement in it. Okay. So that's of course. So, so, if, so now, yeah. I think that comment about it, is most incisive. Haram was 100% a secularist, no question about it. But what we can say, but he was talking about spiritual renewal, some kind of renewal of the Jewish people. Rav Kook, I would characterize Rav Kook as the orthodox Haram, the orthodox cultural Zionist. He wasn't a political Zionist, you know, rejected Mizrahi, rejected uh, uh, Dr. Yeah, that's right, he was the orthodox Haram. So I think 
By the way, it's not mine. Uh, the, the the person who noticed it is uh, is um, one second. I'll tell you who I uh, I heard this from originally. Um, one second, it'll come back to me in a minute. I heard this actually from somebody who worked on Rav Kook. Somebody told me this idea that that it was it's not my own. Navi wife. She told me that she thought these ideas were very similar to a haram. Then I looked it up. She once told me at a meeting we were talking about this, and she said it's like a haram. So actually, it was her idea. Yes, there's another question here. So let's 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 right. Do you see Rav Soloveitchik and Rav Kook? Do you see they're just opposed? Right. So Rav Soloveitchik thinks that the 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 halakis, the person who's uh, he, he goes into this heavenly uh, orbit, this metaphysical orbit, which has these rules, which are which are governing completely, and he's very minor in this in a way. He has to be brilliant to decipher this, but it's only brilliance. And to Rav Kook, it's very human, even though this human, his humanity is infused with this divine spark. But at the other end of the spectrum, right? The difference between him and Haram is that it's infused with the divine spark. But, that, but the human creativity is a very important factor here. Okay? So now we're going to study Rav Hutner. But Rav Hutner, it's very, it's very hard to decipher. So, I think what we're going to do is... Um, I think we're going to explain this without going to the text. Okay. So, Rav Hutner has uh, the the only way you can decipher what Rav Hutner's ideas about Torah Shabbat are and about Halakha is by comparing two different uh, drashot. It's Chanukah Mamar Aleph and Chanukah Mamar Gimel. When you read those together, you you almost almost automatically have to you move into the small, you put into orbit because. In the first, in this first drasha, Mamar Aleph in Hanukkah, he says the, the following thing. He says the midrash says that the the Torah Peh was not translated according to the midrash because if it had been translated, it would have become strange to the Jewish people. There is an intimacy between the Jewish people and Torah Peh that doesn't exist in between the Jewish people and Tanakh because Tanakh belongs to the non-Jews as well. This intimacy is maintained only because Torah is not translated. Although Christine Haynes is a question on this, but we're not going to talk about it right now. Probably the biggest Tamil is not Jewish today. So that's a different problem. We'll put that aside, that question aside. Okay? But according to, but if, if Torah Shabbat would be translated, then it wouldn't, we wouldn't have this intimate relationship with Torah Shabbat and then he goes on to this drasha of the Gon Vilna. But he reinterprets the drasha of the Gon Vilna. The Gon Vilna says that, uh, that the, the, That it says three things in this drasha. Mm. 
the Gomi Vilna says about Asher Bachabanu Mikolami Venatanlanu Etoato Bauhata Hashem Notenatoa. There are three things. Asher Bachabanu Mikolami Venatanlanu Etoato Notenatoa in present set. So these three things, according to the Gomi Vilna, have to do with three different instances of breed. The first one is when they got the Torah. Beitam Iskula. The second time is Mamar Har Sinat. And the third time is the Brit Avod Moav. Okay? The first two are very close. Before Mamar Har Sinai, when it says Bitem Iskula. And the second time is just immediately afterwards when they got the Torah. Okay? Uh, <coughs> so these three have to do with uh, according to the Golden Reveal, now only the third one has to do with Torah beats beats Avot Moab, and that has to do with the concept of Notena Torah, continuously giving the Torah. Something continuous. Torah is something continuous. But the, the Rav Hudner reinterprets this whole thing of the Golden Reveal completely different than his original thought, and he says the first one has to do with Torah the first one, which is Vitam Skula. And then he says that if, remember, Vitam Skula was, when was that said? Do you remember that? It's the beginning of, it's pressure, it's Shmot Yutet, just before the giving of Torah. There is this, this conversation between Moshe and Hashem and Bnei Sel. Hashem says, if they accept the Torah, you should tell them that they can accept the Torah. If they accept the Torah, they will be skula the Memachet Kohanim the Goy Kadosh. The only time it says in Torah, Memachet Kohanim the Goy Kadosh is there. And then, and they said, okay, Naseh. They accept these, this, there's this bargaining between Moshe and Am Yisrael. Moshe is a go-between Hashem and And the Vodner misinterprets purposely the Gobi Vilna and says, this is Torah Shabbat. Okay? So then we have the strangest thing. The strangest thing is, that according to the goal, the coin to Rav Hutner, if Torah Peh had been translated and the Nochrim would have had Torah Peh, we wouldn't have lost the actual Torah Peh, we would have lost the principle of Torah Peh, which appears where? Before the actual Torah was given. Very strange concept. In other words, the, uh, the, the Torah Peh would have disappeared not in the sense of the actual content because the content wasn't given yet it has to do with something that was before before the giving of Torah Torah Pep predates the actual Torah Shabbat how is that possible? what could that possibly be? does anyone want to take a stab? I only got it when I read the third Joshua because you can't understand what is the essence of Torah Shabbat Pep which actually exists before Hashem said Anochi before there's any content. How could there be Torah Shabbat before? If you notice, according to Rav Kook, Torah Shabbat resulted out, out of Torah Shabbat Right? And according to Rav Salabajik, it's not historical in any sense, but he doesn't have that problem. He has a strange content. There's something which is before the actual Torah Shabbat which will be destroyed if the, if the actual Torah Shabbat had been translated. What is the essence that can be translated that disagree that would would uh, dissolve the essence before the content. It almost doesn't make any sense. Does you understand the problem? In other words, there's something when you if the Talmud had been translated, 
then people would, the non-Jews would have gotten the essence of Torah and the Torah would, would have disappeared before it even existed retroactively how could that be? Yeah, you want to suggest something here? I was thought it was maybe a but now I think I'm wrong <laughs> okay he did learn with Rav by the way I thought he learned with Rav yes which case? Which case of Adam Avinu? Uh, what answer? It's all life. Okay. <laughs> That's not bad, but I think you'd do better than that. So let's see. Let's see what he says in in Mamar Bet. Okay. Okay. So the this drasha is based on the combination of two drashot of Chazal that Huttim puts together. One is that the Gemara says that Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave Moshe Rabbeinu Shikoch that he broke the luchot. And the other drasha is that the only reason we forget Torah is because of Shriyat Luchot. So you put those two together, what do you get? Yashekho Chashe Shachachta. Right? Yashekho Chashe Shachachta. Shriyat Luchot. And Shriyat Luchot created Shikrat Torah. So he puts those two together, you're on the first hand. Yashekho Chashe Shachachta. Yashekho Chalukot. Ain't baya. But he puts them together and there you get that forgetting is the most wonderful thing. Why is forgetting such a wonderful thing? So what happens if if something is forgotten, then there is an argument that means Machachamim, right? And that argument that comes out of that pupil are all divrei Torah, even if the original content was, what do you prefer, a Mutar? Mutar. Mutar. What do you prefer, a Mutar? Okay, usually people say a for some reason. People say, can you ima- imagine a theoretical halakha? So now say, Asura Mutar. And everybody says, Asura. In my teacher, Abbas, always said, you always assume Mutar. You have to do something, you say, Asura. You don't have to do something, it's Mutar. The assumption is the world is here for us. Nah. We're not. So, anyway. But, okay. So whatever way you start, let's say, let's say we start with Mutar, okay? Or, and then, then through our Shaklavataria, our discussion, it comes out Asura. Right, or one opinion says Mutar and the other one says Asur. Whichever opinion is accepted will be the proper halacha, even if it was reversed. Even at one time they said uh, Mutar, right, the first time, this is a Mishnah and Eduya. The first time the Beit decided it was Mutar, later on they decided it was Asur. Both will be correct for halacha. So what happened was, even if the content was very specific in the beginning, if now became very complicated, there might be even two opinions, and either of them can be right, depending on what the majority of the decision is. As long as it was done through. Shakavataria, Shakavataria, Matan literally is bargaining. 
And then Rav Hunder goes on to describe a chavruta as the best description I think in, in Hebrew literature of what happens in a chavruta. Where he talks about even though the, he quotes Chazal saying even though they hate each other at one point they love each other at the end but he says don't think that love is in spite of the hate it's because of the hate because the hate is a part of the process. So you get heated, this heated discussion it's all full of love of creativity together. Even the heated argument is part of there's a, there's a process of love in that. It's a very intimate experience for Chavuta, even when you're yelling at each other. And it's all part of the process. Okay? That is called Umatsa Umatan. So that is the essence of Torah Shavalpeh. The essence of Torah Shavalpeh is Masa Umatan. Okay? So now let's go back to Abraham Avinu. I think you're right there. He even says at one point that it's, this is from Abraham. Where do we have that kind of bargaining? Stone. So for, so now if we take a foot there vis-a-vis of we get the third concept. The third concept is a tug of war. A tug of war between the divine and the human. But the divine doesn't have to be divine per se. Divine is the given. Does anyone understand it? The divine, the given function is the divine statement. Whether it actually is divine or it's a statement of Chazal that that interpreted the divine in the previous generation and then there's a tug of war to make that appropriate for the situation at hand that tug of war allows both for the given and for the human so if Rav Salvation has a given world and Rav Cook has almost only a human world Rav Hunter has a tug of war between the two so it has, he says you have to maintain what he calls Der Masal Matan the way I describe that, I don't know what he had in mind. I don't know how much of this is him or me, but I think it's him. But so what I would describe it is if you if you pull the rope too like in a tug of war, right? So if you if one side pulls the rope out of the other side, the other team's hands, the game is over, right? So the process has to be one which takes into consideration the givens and the human. And that process, we can't undo the givens the divine word whether it's the actual divine word or divine word prime or double prime or triple prime right whatever is the given of the situation the previous decision and the situation and take into consideration the situation at hand and we have this tug of war so if we pull it too far it becomes only human if we pull it over to the divine it no longer is Torah Shabbat but it becomes Torah Shabbat if it's only the given which is exactly what my teacher of Bax used to say when people would uh, learn Gemara in a way of only understanding the givens of the Sugiya. And then he would say, You learn Torah It's not a given, you're part of the discussion. If you're not part of the discussion, you didn't get it yet. You don't get the essence. Okay, so now we go back to the other Joshua and we can see how the, by the way, what happens in, the, in that, that first Greek before the giving of Torah, there's a bargaining process between Hashem and Klal Yisrael about whether or not to accept the Torah or not. There it is. There's the essence. And they decide to accept the Torah. I say, they say, we'll accept the Torah like Abraham Avinu accepted the, the Zerah al-Storm. The same way, they, they accept the Torah with a, with a wink. I say, sure, we'll accept your Torah. Just like we accepted it now. We're going to bargain this out. We accept the Torah, but we're going to interpret the Torah. That—that's the—that—that that was the the uh, umdana, the unsaid condition of this marriage was 
that we're going to bargain this out. But if we bargain it out, out of existence, then the game is over. If we pull the rope too hard in one direction, we're, the game is, up, is over, one way or the other. So there you have like in between, in between Rav Soloveitchik and Rav Kuk, it's no longer completely divine, it's not this abstract divinity, it's not completely human, even with a spark of the, the, uh, a divine spark in that human activity, it's a process of, of trying to deal with these givens in the real world. Yes. Because if you translate to Ashwell, what would they see? Yeah. They would see the essence. They would see the essence. The essence is not the particular content of the sugiya, but rather the process. Which starts the earliest sources we have of Torah have argumentation in them. From the very uh, the earliest that we have, right? Shammai, Beit Shammai, there's arguments there, right? Sometimes the Mishnah only brings two lines of an argument that in the Tosef there's ten lines of an argument between Beit Dil and Beit Shammai. Right? There are very early sources of Torah Shabbat I have argumentation. I, the most, most, uh, uh, the most um, obvious uh, feature of the oral law is argument. And by the way, when non-Jews study Marat, that's what they find amazing, is the arguing. Okay? The fact that it's a huge debate, they find it just amazing. It's so surprising to them. It's a whole cultural mode, which, by the way, has gotten lost. It's just gotten lost. I don't know how. It was still around when I was growing up. I think it's gotten lost. I don't know, in schools today and things like that, I think they teach Toshe Bichbalpe as if it was Toshe Bichbalpe. I think Rambach, if you saw the way they're teaching in high school today, would go Because it just became, it's not, you're not involved at all. You're just trying to understand what they say. Nobody would say today, how could a buyer possibly say that? I don't maybe here in the baby dash, but I think in schools today, nobody says, you know, nobody expects you to, to ask a question about what a buyer said. We were always expected to ask a question about what Abayah said. Right? There was an expectation that we would not accept it toward the Gmah per se, just accept it. We were expected to ask questions, not questions, kushiyot. Right? Even with, and even there was a melody, you know, there once was a melody. Do you still have a melody? Frank the Gemora, Frankfurt the Gemora, there was a melody with it in Yiddish and Hebrew. There's a melody. There's no melody anymore either. Got lost. Even in Irish, there's no melody. So that's the story. So that's the story. That's what he thinks that they would get is that essence, which makes it completely different. It's participatory. We all participate in this. From the first time you learn Gemara, and no, that's also, if, it's better if you learn Baba Metziah. Once we learn Baba Metziah, either Armachid, or Shnai Mochazim. In doubt today, if they do learn, it's Elu Mitziyot. Usually they'll learn Brachot. It's much better to, to start with, uh, with Shnai Mochazim, even though it's hard. Because then you get it, you immediately get it, because you can immediately will identify with Ruben and Shimon. And there's much more, there's an actual, there's an actual between two people in the of of the Gemara. So it's much better. I, that's what they used to do, right? I, I, I had an uncle who was from Stoli, Hasidim, right? He said that he knew by the time it was Bar Mitzvah three Bavot. Baba Kama, Baba Baba Batra. Three Bavot completely, the Bavli. But then, of course, he came to America and then by the time he was an old man, he, couldn't even, he said he couldn't even understand it anymore. He became more or less assimilated and he just forgot most of it. 
That's the way it was. But three bavot, he knew three bavot. That's what they learned, the bavot. The bavot are best for that. It's the best. If you want to get the essence, you're better off starting with the bavot. Because then you get the essence of the argumentation. So what is the skulak Yisrael according to Rav Hutner? Being argumentative. That's the story. Our story is that we're argumentative. But we're argumentative for the betterment of people. Like Stone. The reason people argue in the Gemara is because they think the Gemara is saying something wrong, incorrect. Right? It might be incorrect logically, but it might be incorrect because it doesn't, it doesn't feel fair to some side in the issue. Questions? Well, obviously it's clear what I identify with, but that's a different story. Yes? Say anything against you because mine is speculative as well. I can't say anything against you because mine is speculative as well. So uh, that's very interesting. They actually we've shown him double that to a great extent, and the Rashba actually said something very similar to what you're saying. Uh, I don't think that he was doing. I don't, none, of, none of these thinkers are thinking of one another, of course. Right? It was me putting them together. But I'm, I'm, whether he had it in mind or not, to me, it's quite clear that the the essence of Tashvah Peh has to do with with uh, something which is um, in, there's a tension the essence of Torah is uh, about past tension both of Rav Salavechik and Rav Kuk there's no tension here there's tension and that's a very important point there's tension here it's not just simple it's not like okay we get the subject for everything or it's our own wellspring there's tension here right. always tension and the tension is I think the essence yes I'm sorry? Like, unless our partner is sort of melding with your ideas, that to get from the inner to the ideal form of the halakha is the shakha batariya. But then there would be, so is there only one correct answer then? Yes. But he says there isn't. He says, just like the Rashmi Shantz and many others before him, so there isn't only one. But he's saying that, it's not, but it's not the answer that's important. Like, you shall be, you can't spend that money with the air, you can't spend that money with the air. But that's not the important part, though. It's the not. The answer is what I answer. It's not the important part, it's the answer. It's the answer. Well, it, so, for us. The important part is the movement from the inner self to the ideal. And for the, for us, all of so the, the point is the, the, the okay. I can I can prove, I can almost prove you wrong historically, but I'm not so sure if it's right, if that's right to do that. I, you, you don't know, and I don't know. This this 
for I only found this out years after I learned with the briskers originally and then I learned in the Muslim yeshiva in Detroit the advice was written from here it was a Muslim yeshiva in the vein of, of the Salmi Sobotka the, the Muslim movement uh, rejected Reb Chaim's approach altogether at the beginning the reason that I don't know this is that by the time I was growing up it had already been incorporated into the Muslim movement's yeshiva Reb Chaim had been incorporated in some way but when I read about it, I said, oh, I, could, I think I felt the remnants of that tension. It would be very unlike, even though Fudner is strongly influenced by Bisker, I thought it would be very strange for him to accept that as the ideal. I don't think it was in their mind. I don't think anybody, by the way, I don't think anybody, I don't think Reb Heim thought of this. I, don't, I think only the Greed Soloveitchik, with his neo-Kantian background, actually can plot this up. It's, like it's, it's his brilliance. For better or worse, it's his brilliance. And it was so brilliant that it became overwhelming and it became which gave us a very rigid halakha because of that it overwhelmed us it's not overwhelmed us so then people are always are purists he says by the way he says he says it's not influenced by sociology it's not influenced by history it's all just these laws right he doesn't agree with that Rav says the whole point is that it deals with real life situations. So Rav Kuk obviously doesn't agree with it. Rav Kuk doesn't really talk about that per se. Right? He doesn't say anything per se about that. But Rav Soloveitchik has this idea and that's why people, when they, they them like they learn and they learn like that and they them like that. You can learn like that without them like that. I don't think Rav Soloveitchik actually them like that. I think he learned like that. He was, what you said. He did shock the entire looking for the abstract principle. As they say that once he was studying Yvonne and somebody asked the question he said, oh the principles are wrong from the outside we have to start all the second over again. He's not the only one who did that, by the way. There's a story that repeats itself in almost all these, right? The different versions, right? Like, so, like uh, they say it about uh, Rav Shach, it's said about almost everybody, but, but uh, Rav Soloveitchik had this thing about the, he had this quest for truth. If you think there's a truth out there, a very specific abstract truth out there that you're looking for, then you can say, it, well, the whole thing was a mistake. If you, if you were like Rav Huda, you wouldn't say that. You would say, well, there was something we didn't take account into account in our Shaklavataria. So maybe we'll start over again and take it into account, but it wouldn't be overwhelming like that. Oh, we have to start all over. It's all a big mistake because there's this, something was wrong in the way we... Right? There was some empirical fact we didn't take into account, so we built the abstraction the wrong way, so it's the wrong abstraction. So you, nobody would think that normally, where we just say okay, we didn't take that into account. Maybe we should rethink it, but they wouldn't say, like, like, like my mentor, Obaksky, we were studying Yivamot, Tosfot, Davavo, Mudbet, and Obaksky got into a tirade about people who interpret the Tosfot in a certain way. He said, he said, anybody interprets this as speaking nonsense? It makes absolutely no sense to interpret the Tosfot this way. And then one of the, one of the older Bachrim said, very, that's the way you interpreted the Tosot last time. And so Rabbi said, So what? I argue with everybody. I can't argue with myself. <laughs> right? So that, like that, I think is, is that's like the, the, the non brisk yeshivish way of thinking about the world is we're arguing with ourselves because the process is what's important, the results are less important. Rabbi like said, like writing his Nivetua down because he thought they would be taken too seriously. Right? It's just a thought. Maybe tomorrow we'll think about it a different way. Right? Once it's a written word, it becomes Tarasha Bichtaf. 
it has to maintain that fluidity. So I'm almost sure. But I, I interpret, uh, I interpret uh, Rav Huda within a cultural, cultural milieu, which might not be right. You know, like, yeah. yes. So, so we are the last question. Go ahead. From, from the, the point of view of Rav Huda, that you were just describing, where it's a thought and tomorrow it's a missile thought, what's the relation of that learning to Psaq, where the, the learning then has to be embedded in some answer? How do we make Psaq? I know the way you passed him, but I don't know the connection. <laughs> to be very honest, I never thought about that. Thank you for the question. He was very sensible in his sack. He was very Haredi, very sensible. I remember we once were at home, three brothers, my sister was not at home then, uh, when we cut a cabbage and made it into a salad. And then we said, oh, we didn't check for worms at all. Right? So we, I called her a box. This is difficult. So, so he always said, David, what do you think? I said, I don't know. I didn't learn your Torah. So he said, nonetheless, what do you think? Because always, always. I said, well, I never saw any worms in a cabbage. He said, you're absolutely right. Cabbage today is is muksak in poison, not in Torah. <laughs> so I said, Rabbi, what should I do? Lechatchila said make sure that there's no hole in the bottom but there's still these large caterpillars that eat their way in or out make sure there's no hole at the bottom cut into four that's all, all right? and you can certainly use the side you made it was very logical just very straightforward and logical it's very missing today it's just, just simple you know straightforward kind of logical thought that's the way he passed in you know, straight from the from the and straight logic. But I don't know how that relates. It has to. It does have to relate with when you do shakti You use a lot of use your mind in a logical way. But other than that, I don't know how it relates. How that all that dialectic. He wasn't so dialectical when he got. He was very. You know, uh, he he knew how to. He didn't have the problem like I sometimes have, which is more of a brisker problem, which is you're so concerned with the absolute truth, you don't know what to say. You get stuck. He didn't have that problem. He was just like very natural. But I don't know how it relates at all. Thank you for the question because I've never thought about that question at all. And I don't know how, I didn't know if him personally how did I did hear, uh, I met him a few times but I didn't actually know him. So I can't, I don't know how he passed it at all. So. Okay, thank you to our big man.